Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day that you've given to us and thank you for safe travel here. Now, as we go through this seminar, I pray that you will um, help everything to be clearly understood and help me to um, convey this message in a way that it can be understood. Be with each of the hearers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, we're gonna move right on because I think I didn't know I was supposed to start and so I started. I didn't start. But anyway, we're talking about worship as it is in heaven. And I, this is the first of a series of lectures that I do. Um, and I thought, well, let's start at the very beginning. Usually when I come for just a one-time event, I start at the very last one, which kind of incorporates all of them. But I thought, okay, let's focus at start at the beginning. And we're going to start with worship as it is in heaven. Now, what made me develop this particular um, topic was the fact that we're always talking about music and worship here on earth. But just as the Lord gave Moses a guide of a pattern of the sanctuary that is in heaven, then the Bible has snapshots of what music and worship are like in heaven as well. So I thought, well, let's see what that is. Now we know that there is a lot of discussion and controversy today about music and worship. But if we're all going to get to heaven, the Bible always talks about every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So that means then the issues that we have about worship are not going to exist in heaven. So let's take a look at what goes on in heaven that we should try to emulate on earth. Now, also, one thing to consider is the fact that when God confused the languages at the Tower of Babel, it was not his original intention to do that. But since he did that, and now we have every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, God is going to save every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And each of those entities has its own culture, its own sonority, and all of that. So we are going to just look at what it's like in heaven and see what we can do on earth. So I'm going to move quickly. One of the prayers of Jesus was, Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing and we're going to go ahead. Now let's take a look at heaven and see what happens in heaven. Well, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be of one mind, body, and spirit, even though we are from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So let's see how this is possible. When we were forming as a church and Ellen White had visions. One of the things that she said was that there are no words in our language that can even describe what she saw and heard in heaven. 
Another scripture that um, stuck in my mind that really struck me was in Malachi, the last chapter of Malachi, the last verse, which says that when God burns up this earth, everything is going to be burned to stubble, which means then that when we are resurrected and we are changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, everything about us is going to be new. So whatever great music we have on earth at this time will cease to exist because it is tainted by sin and humanity. It is mortal. It comes from a mortal source. So that is going to be eradicated. When we get to heaven, we will fall in that vein and we will be able to praise the Lord. But let's, before we get there now, this is something else that was said that um, Ellen White saw in vision. I have been shown the order, the perfect order of heaven and have been enraptured as I listened to the perfect music there. It cannot be described. It is melody, heavenly, divine. Now, when we look into the sanctuary, we're going to see some of the things that are up there in heaven. This is the snapshot that the Bible has given to us. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, there was a rainbow around the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So these are descriptions of what God and heaven and the throne are like. And around about the throne were four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And before the throne was the sea of glass likened to crystal and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four beasts. So you got these four elders and the four beasts and each of them had six wings about them. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. So these are the entities that are praising God in heaven, worshiping him day and night, the elders, the beasts, and the uh, angels. Now, let's look at these three attributes of music in heaven that the Bible points out to us. First of all, there is reverence, there is praise, and there is lots of music as Ellen White witnessed. Now let's take the first entity. The angel hosts prostrate themselves before him while the glad shout fills all the courts of heaven. So there is reverence. All right, now let's see what else about reverence. The four and 20 elders fall down. The four beasts fall down. The angels fall on their faces. So everybody, in a sense, genuflex when it comes to, when they come into the presence of God. Now, let's see about the praise because today that word praise has many connotations, but let's see what the praise is like in heaven. The four beasts say, holy, holy, holy. The elders say, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor. And 
these angels say, Amen, blessings and glory. This is a point that I really want to stress because the praise according to the Bible is verbal. It is not physical gyrations and whatever. It's not jumping up and down, waving hands. We have already seen that when they come into the presence of God, they genuflect, they are reverent. And when they utter anything, they are verbal expressions. So let's move on. This is one aspect of praise in heaven. Now let's take another look at the music of heaven. According to Spirit of Prophecy, there is music there and song, such music and song as no mortal ear has heard or mind conceived. And we know that verse that says, I have not seen nor ear heard. So we can't even begin to fathom. And the richest and greatest and most elevated music of this earth cannot compare to what is there. It's when Ellen White came out of her vision and was forced to come back into the reality of this world, the greatest music, she said, sounded discordant to her. So we know that it is something that we have never seen, nor can we imagine. The Bible, in all of its renderings of heaven, in this snapshot, talks about three instruments, the voice, the harp, and the trumpet. Those are the three that are mentioned. Now let's take a look here. The four beasts and the elders sang a new song. The voice of harpers harping with their harps. Here it is again, the voice. And then of course the trumpets. Now trumpets were used in heaven to make announcements. The seven angels were given seven trumpets. Now let's see what we have here. I want to introduce this point to you. Music in heaven is governed by the same natural laws that God created that operate here on this earth. So when we talk about music in, in one of my um, other seminars, we actually go into the science of music and talk about that, but that's not a part of this. But I just wanted to call this to your attention that music is governed by laws, scientific laws, laws that are immutable. They cannot be changed. They can by personal opinion or disagreement or whatever. They are just as sure as the law of gravity. Can you change the law of gravity? You cannot change the laws that pertain to music, okay? Now, there was a turning point. And this is where, of course, we know why we have these issues. Look at Lucifer's agenda. I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That last statement is the reason why we're in the mess we are in, because he wanted to be God. And of course, you know the events that he went around trying to um, complain about God, his laws. 
And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the devil and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there a place found any more in heaven. So he got kicked out. And I want you to see now, once he got kicked out, look at his revenge. There are four blasphemies that he is taking revenge on. Let's take a look at these. He, look at his face, isn't that terrible? He's just so angry. He decides he is going to blaspheme God. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. So those four entities, we're going to take a look at one by one to see how he blasphemes God's name. Because once he was kicked out, he then decided to go after what was near and dear to God. Adam and Eve, of course, being the closest because they were his creation. But now let's see, he's going to blaspheme God's name and look at what he has done in the system of religion that he has set up on this earth. Who else considers himself to be God? Lord God, the Pope. M money and possessions. Those are gods on this earth. And this is how he is blaspheming God. He said he was going to blaspheme God's name. And look at some of his names, his holiness, vicar of Christ. It is taken in vain and somehow the word is cursing. His name is taken in vain in cursing. So this is one of the blasphemies. When he was kicked out, he was going to get back at God in these ways. Blaspheme God himself, blaspheme God's name. Now he's also going to blaspheme the tabernacle. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And that statement, I have heard it said, and it is true. When you look at the position of the tabernacle on earth and you see where the table of showbread sits, the table of showbread sits in the north. The table of showbread represents the word of God. So he is going after the word of God. And he has sought to do that all these years. So he vows to make God's word null and void. And so that is one of the reasons why when you hear that phrase, he will sit in the side of the north. He is trying to blaspheme God's holy word. Then, of course, the tabernacle. That's one of the other entities that he is going to blaspheme God. So what does he do? He introduces false worship. And false worship everywhere in the Bible is notated by the use of noise, shouting, 
and dancing. Those three elements in combination, those three elements in combination create false worship, not to mention doctrine, false doctrine. Think about it. All of these stories in the Bible that talk about false worship, beginning with the Old Testament, the first one was when Moses was up on the mountain and God sent him down. What did they hear? The Bible describes it. Noise, shouting, dancing. Those three elements in combination create false worship. No matter what the intent is, noise, shouting, dancing combined create false worship. And let me tell you why. Because noise, if I take my keys and drop them down, noise, it makes a noise. Now, there, if I were to put a microphone to that noise, you could actually register it on a scale. And I don't want to get too far into um, what I, into the other things, but just to let you know, the shouting motion Dancing around, you can't think when you're doing that. You are physically just reacting. So when jumping around and praising and all of this sort of thing, it short circuits one's ability to think. And therefore, one cannot hear the Holy Spirit do, while doing that because of the physical. If you're doing um, aerobic exercises, you are just physically falling in line. You cannot think about anything important while you're doing that because you have to concentrate on what you're doing. Okay, let's move um, on. And one of the other things that he was going to do to the tabernacle would bring every unclean and hateful bird. And that is a phrase that I take to mean that everything that doesn't belong in the church, he was going to make sure it got there. Okay. I will leave some time for you to answer. Ask questions if you want. And the dragon was wroth, wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keepeth the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So you can see how angry he is. The mere fact that everything that pertains to us and God he wants to destroy it. Okay. Now, he blasphemes those that dwell in heaven. Of course, we know he got one third of them to follow him. So all four entities, God's name, the, the church, all of these things, the tabernacle, those that dwell in heaven, everything about that he has decided he is going to blaspheme. Now, let's see what the warnings are. God tells us, first of all, playtime is over. Anybody who listens to the news today can see that God is even at the door. Destruction, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, political di di disagreements, 
everything that you can read in Matthew 24 is being played out right in front of your very eyes. So therefore, playtime is over. And these are the warnings. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, this is with this first warning. The second warning, Babylon is fallen because it has made all these nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And we know that this one religious system that exists today in our world is full of the doctrines that go totally against, thus saith the Lord. To the point of calling oneself God, everything that we espouse as Seventh-day Adventists, for one, and other denominations that believe in, for instance, believe in baptism, this religious system espouses sprinkling which is totally opposite. And so this influence has created all these other little churches and denominations. All right, let's take a look at what this false warning has, as I said, we have praise worship, which is a cliche or phrase, a modern day phrase. We call it praise today, but when it first came out, it was called celebration. How many of you remember that? Okay, it was first called celebration because that was supposed to um, make it sound exciting. And then it morphed into praise, but it's the same thing. Issues on the Sabbath, baptism, state of the dead, and other uh, falsehoods that are created. Warning number three, deal with the consequences of not following God's plan. Bottom line, if you don't change, you worship the beast in his image, you will drink the wrath of the wine of the wrath of God. That's just the bottom line. You know the text very well. Okay, so now let's see what happens here when we all get to heaven. Songs of triumph mingle with the music from angel harps. Heaven rings with voices, lofty strings. And I saw them that had gotten the victory over the beast and the image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass and they sang the song of Moses and the song of the lamb. Now this is every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And this is the next thing. If we do not receive the religion of Christ by feeding on the word of God, we could not appreciate the pure heavenly current that circulates in heaven. And so the voices of the angels and the music of their harps would not satisfy us. And that's something very, very important because what she is saying here is that if we cannot start to try to emulate 
what is happening in heaven, if we went to heaven, we would be very disappointed because it wouldn't be what we wanted. And the last thing that we want to say is, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, before we get to, this is the end of it, and I'm gonna save some time to ask questions because um, I'm sure you may have some, but I would like to just say uh, the statement that I made, unless we can emulate what we have on earth and try to emulate what is in heaven, how do we know what is in heaven? We do not know. This is the only way we can know. And I will just take, since I have a, a minute or two um, to ask, to answer some questions, let me just briefly dis say this. It has a lot to do with how music affects us. In every culture, every culture, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people has a kind of music that is suitable and acceptable to God. So our ears in our little worlds, in our little cultures, now here we are just a mixed bag right here. But when you go back to your little individual pockets, you know the sounds of your own music. And therefore, there is something inherent in music. And through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Lord can tell you what is right, what you should be doing. And a lot of times what has happened, we tend to look at what other cultures do and say, well, they do that. And then we want to emulate that. Let me give you an example. Um, I went to do a seminar for the Trans-European Division several years ago, many years ago, <laughs> when it was in um, Budapest. The opening night, they had, it was a youth congress, they had the Hungarian dancers. Now in our world, had that happened, that would have been taboo. We would have just had an election there and voted out all the officers and sent them packing and put somebody else in. But you see, we cannot look and judge other cultures by our culture. But I'm going to go and pick something out from my uh, seminar on, on, on science. The laws of science are very real. And anything in anybody's culture that makes you want to tap your feet and dance would not be acceptable worship in heaven because remember we said in the very beginning the first snapshot what the entities in heaven are doing they bow and they praise God they do a lot of singing a lot of singing but 
none of what we see in some churches today. And so maybe I can better answer questions rather than try to explain myself because I keep getting deeper into deeper into other topics. But does anyone have um, any question or comment or has it? Okay. Exactly. It is a very, very nebulous concept. It fits into the mold of whatever culture you have grown up in. For instance, in the African culture, many places, very rhythmic. Now, rhythm is not necessarily bad because rhythm, all music has rhythm. You can't have music unless you have music. As a, ma as a matter of fact, are you aware that the human body possesses every element that makes up music? Within your human body, every element that makes music what it is, you possess in your physical body. You possess rhythm. You produce melody. And see, that is the other thing. Let me just tell you, I'll just pick out little points that, that cause music to be very um, confusing. A lot of times today, one of the key elements of appropriate music is that it's melodic. You have to have something that you can sing. That's a clear melody. Sometimes I have heard music that gives the impression that a, mu that a melody is there, but there is no melody. They're just little phrases with instrumental interludes. And when you actually try to piece it together without those interludes, then it's hard to sing because it is commercial. Now I will say this, what would one thing, commercial music, commercial music is not necessarily appropriate for worship because it's a commercial product that is produced for sales. They have no concern. They may have religious words attached to them, but a lot of music sometimes does not have um, your spiritual well-being in mind. Let me tell you some elements about commercial music. We have what we call pronoun songs. Do you know what a pronoun song is? You raise me up. Who is you? Who is you? It gives you the impression that it's talking about God. But don't forget, we have an enemy out there who blasphemes the name of God. He doesn't want you to say his name. That is a commercial tactic. That is a beautiful song. 
How many of you know that song? How many of you like that song? I like that song. I do. But it is a pronoun song because it does not mention the name of God. And many songs that are produced today are pronoun songs. They don't mention the name of God. And a lot of times I know we cannot go wrong using our hymns for, because that's what they were written for. Another thing is crossover songs. Um, the same song can be a crossover song as well. You Raise Me Up can be a crossover song because it could have a um, romantic connotation as well as a religious connotation. Or it could have some kind of secular connotation to it. These are the kinds of things, and I, I do a specific um, workshop where we actually analyze songs. And to just, just to show you, um, I can't tell you everything in one, I, like shove a whole pie in your mouth, <laughs> chewing on little bits of, of that. But it is something that when we know, just to make sure that I can give you something that you can leave with, anything that causes you to think about what you are saying, it's, it's quiet enough that you can focus on a melody. It's something that you can sing. Little melodies when you go back, if you can pick up on a melody. And you know, I play for the little babies in their Sabbath school. And sometimes I find myself during the week singing those little songs from the babies because those songs have messages in them. It's, and that's what spiritual songs will do. You will also do, I mean, music is going to do that anyway. Something you may hear and it'll just ring and ring and ring in your ear. We call that an earworm. And, uh, but anything that you can take with you that is going to elevate God and put him in the proper place, that is something that is appropriate. If you come from a different culture, think about music that you use for secular purposes. Think about music that is different when you have meditation, things that are meditative, that you can meditate on, I would say would be a good example of something because this is what we want to do. Now, I am not saying music has to be funeralized. That is not what I am saying at all. And that's the impression that the devil wants us to get. Oh, you just cannot have any lively music. That is not so. But we just have to be very careful. And I think that one of the reasons why we have gotten into this kind of um, issue is because within our church, we do not have a real music department. And when I was a freshman in college and went through all the years, you know, I thought to myself, you know, it's really a shame that we as musicians spend all this money and yet we cannot go and work in our church with our craft. We have to go to other denominations to become ministers of music. 
etc., etc., etc. We have a lot of little churches. And if we are trained in our schools, then that training, I think, could have eliminated a lot of the problem that we have today. But this is what it is. So we just deal with the reality until it changes. But just so that you know um, some of the problems that we have. Any other questions? Um, yeah. So I think a common, I don't know if it's assumption, a common assumption is that classical music is automatically good music. Um, are there guidelines for classical music, especially in the context of worship, if it's imported into a worship setting? I'm glad you mentioned classical music because let's look at what classical music does. And let us see if we can transfer the principles and see here people want a peg in each hole to shut, close the holes as far as controversy. Music is a living organism. It changes. It changes. It will never stay the same. But the principles always stay the same. So if we could look at the elements of the classical music and transfer them over to any of the new music that comes out, we can always have a guideline to go by. First of all, what are some of the elements of classical music? Well, it does have harmony, but the most important element of any music should be melody. The most important element of any music. And if you find in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, it says make melody. So when you want to start assessing music, check for the melody content first. Does it have a melody that is singable? Okay. All right. So that is something that is there. What else about classical melody? So that's one of the principles of good music. What else do we have? We have, we have harmony and we have, we have rhythm. Now let's look at this. This is, this is another thing that can help you. Melody, harmony, rhythm. That is a good order. Today we have beat, maybe harmony, and if there's a melody, that's at the bottom. It has been totally reversed. So when you look at the principles of what classical music um, are like, is like, then you can kind of transfer those principles to see what you know, the, the church music would be like today. There's a difference between rhythm and beat, okay? A lot of lay persons will say, will use those terms interchangeably, but rhythm is the engine that drives music forward. Rhythm, you speak in rhythm. Every language has its own rhythm. You walk in rhythm, but a beat is nothing but a driving pulsation. That's all a beat is. And the points of accent in that beat are usually placed on the second and fourth beats, 
which go against the body's natural one and three. Your, your, your body is tuned to one and three and the strong beat, but yet you have these punctuations on the second and four, which causes you to move. Your body is going to move along with that music when you readjust it, so to speak. So therefore, these, this is another principle. And so when you start looking at what happens, when you have, there's nothing wrong with syncopation, but when you start having too much, it's like putting too much salt in something. It just begins to take over. That element begins to take over. So when you've got beats being punctuated throughout the music, and we didn't really start having this problem with music until the 1960s. But that's another whole topic right there. That's another whole topic right there. Because it wasn't until, well, let me just say this. <clears throat> it wasn't until our lovely Beatles came. They are the ones that brought the beat to music, as is indicated by the spelling of their name. And so... Once they came on the scene, everything changed. The, there was a group out called the Fifth Dimension, mm -hmm. and they sang this song, The Dawning of the Age of Aquarius. Somebody is smiling. Somebody, <laughs> somebody knows this. <laughs> but anyway, that, and, and, and when you really look at what happened after that, Everything that we're talking about as far as music and worship are concerned really came forth from that time because it was in 1962 that Vatican II Council met and actually planned the change to what it is, is happening today. This, was, this is the Vatican plan. The confusion that we're having today, all a Vatican plan. And it started back in the 1960s. But you see, nothing happens overnight. It just doesn't, boom, it grows. It has to grow. And it wasn't until the mid-80s when Sandy Patty and Lauren L. Harris came out that our church started changing. It wasn't until then that our church started changing. And from there, it has just mushroomed into what we have today. And so these are the, um, the things, but getting back to your principles, melody, harmony, rhythm, songs that actually call God's name because that's who you are worshiping. Any other questions? Yeah, so I was wondering, is there ever such thing as like, you know, a reverend shouting for joy or clapping or, you know, and for the songs like David is always like saying, you know, shout for joy, clap your hands, trees, God is come, gonna come back to you, joy, and stuff like that. So there, is there like a reverend form of that or is this just not reverend at all? Yes, and I do not want to give the impression, I think our time is about up. I do not want to give the impression that you cannot do this because there, God has given us emotions that can be expressed. But when we start getting, but when those emotions are induced, that's where the problem comes. 
when they are induced by an external force such as music, then it's, you know, it's nothing that is being generated. You are given the impression that it is coming from you, but music plays on the emotions. And believe me, the devil knows what buttons to push. Okay, well, I could talk all day, but I guess we have to put a pin in it here. <laughs> I'm very happy that um, you can come on. Um, you came, I hope this uh, helped you in some way and um, that you were able to get something from this. So, This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.